All right, church, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, and if you would, uh, turn them to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and continue and resume our series on our commitments, and considered, are you committed to Christ, committed to prayer, committed to worship? Today, we're going to give consideration to the thought of being committed to witness. I want you to think about, just for a moment, if you would, Think about the people that live around you, the people in your community, maybe the people that you've seen out and about this weekend playing around. Think about the noise that you hear in your neighborhood. Think about your family. Think about the people that you go to work with, the people that you go to school with, and then give consideration to the fact that the majority of those people are doomed in despair and hopelessness. We're surrounded by countless thousands of people in our own community that are without the hope of salvation because they're living a life apart from Jesus Christ. Which means that they're living without hope beyond this life. They're living without help in order to face the the trials and the traumas of this world. Without Christ, there's no peace. There's no security. To live without Christ means that you live without fellowship with God and his children. You live without the freedom from our guilt of sin because you have no assurance of the forgiveness of sin. Those that are without Christ are living condemned. Here's the thing. Those that are of Christ, those that believe in him, those that are Christ's followers, then then we can bring hope into their hopelessness. If your Bible's open to Matthew chapter 13, I want you to go down to, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, I want you to go down to verse number 13. And there, from the very beginning, very directly, Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. He says you are salt. It's a directive. It's imperative. It's it's the truth. It says in verse 13 that you're salt. In verse number 14, he's going to say that you are light. Now he's talking to, to believers. And if you're a believer, then Jesus says you're salt and you're light. The question becomes, what kind of salt and what kind of light are you going to believe? Far too many believers have failed or are failing and their lifelong commitment to the maturation process of what it means to be a Christ follower. Too many believers uh, seem to be uh, too content with their fire insurance policy rather than pursuing a lifetime call of discipleship. And as a result, they've caused great problems and brought about great confusion as to what it truly means to be a Christ follower. If you continue looking at verse number 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the question comes to my mind, you mean it's possible uh, for salt to lose its strength? It's possible uh, for salt uh, to be corruptive? And the answer is yes, especially the salt of this day and age. 
got to understand that the majority of their salt would have come from the Dead Sea. And as a result, it wasn't a pure form of salt. Their salt would have been mixed with other minerals. And as a result, over the course of time, and due to the exposure of moisture, it would end up bleeding away the, the content, the salt content, if you will. And then you'd be left with something else other than what was desirable from salt. And, and this other product that you would have, because time and moisture has decayed its original content, this product would be useless. It was only good to be thrown out onto the roads to kind of help provide a hard surface. That's why Jesus says they would be thrown out and trampled under people's feet, which means we should give careful consideration to what he's saying here. There is a way that Jesus has called us to live, but if we're not careful and if we're not pursuing it, then it's going to, there's going to be a secondary purpose in our life that is not what it's originally intended for. Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. And so several things can be said about salt, and perhaps that will help us to have a greater understanding as to what Jesus is truly saying to us today. First of all, give consideration to the fact that salt is distinctive. Salt is distinctive, which means salt is totally different than the food or the object upon which it is placed. And so the power of salt lies in this difference, which means that believers, just as salt, were to be different from the world. And the power of our lives and, and the power of our testimonies is what makes us distinctive from the world in which we live. Two weeks ago, when we talked about worship, I, I shared with you the text from Romans chapter 12. And kind of like to highlight that again in verse number 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, metamorphosed inside out, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, and that word discern, you remember, was both to find and follow the will of God. So we are called to be distinctive. So salt is distinctive. Not only that, salt uh, preserves. Salt keeps things from going bad and decaying. In fact, salt can also cleanse and disinfect. And so believers, just as salt, we kind of function as uh, retardants to decay. We are to uh, be a preservative in a world that is disintegrating and falling apart. It's as if Jesus was saying, in effect, humanity without me is a dead body that is rotting and falling apart. And you, my followers, are salt that must be rubbed into that flesh in order to halt the decomposition. Salt serves as a preservative. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, it says, Through Christ you have come to know to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. In verse 23 it says, For you have been born again, 
but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Talk about the ultimate preservative. Will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So already we know that salt is distinctive. Therefore, we are to be distinctive. Salt preserves. Therefore, we must act as a preservative in a world that's just falling apart. Not only that, salt penetrates. Salt changes that upon which it is placed. Believers, just as salt, we are to penetrate this world in order to bring about change for the glory of God. Tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which, by the way, I'll make a plug for Wednesday night Bible study. We began uh, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in our time this past Wednesday night, we just kind of did an introductory and a background to the book. And we've discovered ultimately that 1 Corinthians isn't 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is actually 4 Corinthians. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, come on Wednesday night. I will help you understand that so much. So in, in 4 Corinthians, which is identified as 2 Corinthians in your Bible, chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. We work hard to persuade others. God knows that we are sincere, and I hope that you know this too. In other words, we work hard to penetrate the world in which we live, to persuade others with the good news of Jesus Christ so that they too can put their faith, their hope, their life, their trust in the Savior that can bring about complete redemption. So salt is distinctive. Salt preserves. Salt penetrates. And then number four, salt enhances. Uh, Salt influences the taste of things. Come on, you know, you, you can take a bland and tasteless food and you can add a little bit of salt to it and it can make it enjoyable, if not pleasant tasting. And so believers, just as salt, we are to influence the world for Christ. Give you a verse to consider. And this one comes from 1 John chapter 1. There in verses 1 through 3, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. That's that's, That's influencing That's what we've seen, we've heard, we share with one another with a desire that in that sharing with one another that you too would be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and be encouraged to put your faith and trust in Him. There is a sense in which the church is the salt factory and the world is the marketplace for salt. Reality is too much salt is being stored up and and locked up in the church. 
and not enough salt is, is getting out into the marketplace. What's the result? Well, we see the result in Luke chapter 10, verse number 2, where Jesus declares the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus said, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, you believe in him, then, then you are salt. And the reality is, is that God wants the salt to get out of the salt shaker and get out into the world. Salt does no good if you just keep it in that shaker. Has no effect upon anything unless you let it out and, and, and let it have its influence. We walk out of these doors, we enter into that world that is desperate in need of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are outnumbered. There's no doubt that we're outnumbered. But never forget, a little salt goes a long, long way. And Jesus said, you believe in me, you trust in me. You are the salt of the earth. And then he goes on and says, you're the light of the world. Look at verse number 14. Man, this is going to blow you away. At least I hope it does. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. For those of you that are taking notes, write these references down, if you would. Uh, the first one is 1 John 1, verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. The second one is John chapter 8, verse 15. John 8, 15. And then the third one would be right here, Matthew 5, verse 14. So why do I want you to write them down? Because I want you to take the time, and I want you to look these verses up. Because I'm going to tell you, what they say, but I want you to see it for yourself. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, we are told that God is light. And then in John chapter 8, verse number 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then here in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. What an incredible compliment. God is light. Jesus is light, and the believer is said to be the light of the world. In other words, the believer is what both God and Jesus are, light. Man, that is awesome. Can, can you imagine what, what a great compliment that God has given to us? But to know, to, to be identified with God, yes, it's a great compliment but it also comes with some enormous responsibility. Responsibility like whatever the light is and whatever the light does, that is what the believer is to be and to do. Say that again. Whatever the light is and whatever the light does, that is what the believer is to be and to do. So what do we know about light? Let me run through some of these with you real quick. We know that light reveals. Light exposes the truth of an area. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, it says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is, he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So you can inherit the light. And so light reveals and also light guides. Light directs us in the way that we're to go. In John chapter 12, verse number 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You'll know the right way, the right path to take. You won't remain in darkness when you come to Jesus. So light guides, light also strips away the darkness. Light strips away the darkness. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So light reveals, it guides, it strips away and exposes the darkness. Uh, Light also warns. It warns of danger that lie ahead in a person's path. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, it says, To take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It says to expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Let me just say, ultimately, light light is meant to shine and to give direction. And I want you to notice where the text says where the light is located. It says that the light is in the world. And it says, it specifically talks about two locations. It says, talks about a city, and then it talks about a lamp. So what do we know about the city? Well, we know that the city is on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. What do we know about the lamp? Well, the lamp is on a stand, or the candle is on the candlestick. And it gives light to everyone that's in the house. Which means that we are the light both in the world and at home. Be the light. Be the light. Yesterday afternoon was a beautiful time spent in this place because there was a special anniversary that was happening between Lynn and J.E. Todd. They celebrated their 50th anniversary And as I'm here and as I'm meeting their children for the first time and seeing the grandchildren and then hearing their testimony and the testimony of faith that just just is saturated within that family is so encouraging. And, And one after another and after another after another all reveal it's all because of a drug problem. For those of you who are here, you know the whole family had a drug problem. Because they were drunk to church every single time it was open. Every time. Any of y'all grow up with that same problem? Your parents dragging you to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, 
It wasn't an option. And as I'm listening to them, and as I see their faith and their love for Jesus, it made me think, man, what happened? How did we get away from that? Why isn't church a priority in our lives? Since when did we start giving our children the option on whether or not they went to church? Drag them. Get them here. Make them come. What's there to debate about it? You're in my house. This is what we do. We believe in Jesus. We worship him. And we're going to do that on Sundays. And we're going to do that on Wednesdays. As long as you're home, this is what you can expect. We're going to take you to church. Bring them. When we say, when we don't make them come to church, and we give them the option to sit out of it, what we're also telling them is, it's not really that big of a deal anyway. It ought to be. Does it mean something to you? Is it a priority? I mean, you are the light in the world and at home, and you can't turn that light on and off. You can't just decide, okay, now I want to be an example for what it means to live for Christ, and now, okay, I'm home. I can shut down. I can just be me. Well, if you're truly of the light, be the light everywhere you go. It's not an option. Jesus says, you are the salt. You are the light. If you place your faith in the Son of God, then you are both salt and light. The question is, what kind of salt are you going to be? What kind of light are you going to be? Make no mistake, people are watching you all the time. Your family, your friends, your enemies and adversaries, your co-workers, your neighbors, they're watching you. They watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch how you live. And may you know that what you say, what you do, and how you live are a reflection on what you believe about God. So when other people watch you, when other people listen to you, when other people are around you, do they see the good works that are in you and bring glory unto God? Do they see him? Let me ask you this way. When was the last time that somebody asked you about the hope that is in you? When's the last time? When's the last time somebody pulled you inside and said, man, brother, tell me, man, what's the deal? What's going on with you? There's something different about you. Man, what's the reason for the hope that is in you? When's the last time has anybody ever pulled you inside and said, man, tell me what the difference is in your life? If they're not asking you that question, then let's go there. Why are they not asking you? How come they don't ask you what the reason for the hope that is in you? Could it be that it's because it appears that you put your hope in the same thing that they put their hope in? Could it be that it doesn't appear that you live your life any differently than the way that they live their life? This is what it means to be a witness. Yes, we're a witness with our words, and we give testimony with our mouths about the Son of God. 
But that testimony is empty when it comes out of our mouth if it isn't matched with our lifestyle, our character, and our conduct. What's the reason for the hope that pins you? Last time somebody's been around you long enough to see your, give, your good works, and then they give glory to God because of what they see in you. Listen, we've got some time. Take your Bible. Just go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I didn't think we'd go there, but I think we are. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to wait for you this time. Let's go. Get your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, oh, we've been, we're family. I can say this. If you didn't bring your Bible, you didn't bring something to write down, you didn't bring somebody to, something to write upon, then what you've ultimately said is you didn't expect to receive anything today. Oh, maybe come to church expecting to receive a message from God. Maybe come to church prepared to receive that message. So get your Bibles open in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. I just want to share some thoughts and some verses that ought to shape how we live our lives. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13, it says, uh, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, notice it says when you are, not if you should be, but when you do it the right way and you live the right way, and you, and you speak the truth, you will be slandered. And it says, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, so it says, anyone always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And then look back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, or, or I urge you as, as temporary residents and foreigners, right, uh, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They're giving glory to God because of the good that they're seeing in you. And he identifies us as, as temporary residents and foreigners. Why? Because this world ain't home. Stop treating it like it is. It's not our home. We're, we're temporary residents. Let me show you in Scripture. Go, go to Philippians chapter 3. All right, got to the third reference, and this is usually where you start to drop out on me now. Come on, turn those Bibles. Philippians chapter 3. 
I want you to see it. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even uh, him to, I'm sorry, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Right there in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our home. We're citizens of heaven, not here. This is temporary. This isn't our permanent resting place. In fact, it's temporary for everybody. For those that believe in Christ, man, be encouraged. Because this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But those that don't, this messed up world is as close to heaven as you'll ever see. This is not our home. Temporary. Our permanent residency is in heaven. And so with that in mind, like go back uh, to the left. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Our permanent residence is in heaven. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 31. Let me just read this section for you. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a reference to Psalm 42, I mean 44, uh, verse 22. And pick up in verse number 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. We're secure in Him. Our permanent residence is in Him. Because, not because of us and what we could do, it's all because of Him. And what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. Now with this in mind, uh, go to Psalm chapter 63. Check this out. Psalm chapter 63. Anybody there? Say, I'm there. One person. All right, great. 
Anybody just like, I quit, I'm just going to listen now, say, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, some of you are lying to me, I know. You haven't opened your Bible yet. Psalm chapter 63, look at verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. As I read this, how many of this is a description of you and your current condition today? Uh, My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In that verse number three, he says, God's steadfast or unfailing love is better than life itself. Do you believe that? Are you living with that belief in effect for you? Well, people look at you and they're like, oh man, what's going on? There's something greater happening in you and I want what you've got. You want some more? Come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hang with me. I'm almost done. Maybe. Second Corinthians chapter 4. For those that are discouraged today, you're overwhelmed by your trials and your hardships. And this one's for you because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 16 says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Here it is. Light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, which means it's soon to be gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Isn't that amazing? All of our troubles, all of our worries, all of our hardships are working for us an eternal weight of glory. I mean, this verse should have a profound impact on how we live just day by day, trusting and believing in Him. I mean, if we truly believe this, then then go back to Philippians chapter 3. If you truly believe it, Philippians chapter 3. Okay, let's pick up in the middle of verse number 4. It says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law. A Pharisee, as to zeal. A persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost 
for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse uh, continues, for, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He says, for his sake, for the sake of Christ, he suffered loss of all things, and he counts them as rubbish. So in comparison to Christ, everything else is rubbish, and we don't use rubbish anymore. Who talks like that? Some of you are going to get a little bit uncomfortable here because rubbish isn't really our concept of what we have in our mind. It's more than filth. It's more than garbage. Paul says, you can take my pedigree, and according to my pedigree, I count that as nothing more than just a pile of crap. That's the language. It's dung. It's feces in comparison to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he's living his life out in, in the awareness of that. And he says, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters except making Christ known and sharing his love and, and telling other people about our Savior. Some of you, you're looking at me, you're like, mm, I don't really like what you just said, but check that word out, study the Greek, you'll know I'm right. One last text. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Returning, then let me ask you, do you remember the zeal and the enthusiasm you once had for Christ? Do you remember the excitement you once had, especially when you, when you first came to know the Lord? Get to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number 32. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with, su with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those uh, so treated. In verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. The challenge is for us to think back to that time when we first surrendered our life unto him. Remember how you remained faithful even in the midst of those, those hardships that came your way. Remember how excited you were to open the Bible and to learn his truths. Remember how you couldn't just stop from listening to anything else other than music that worshiped and glorified him. But don't throw away your confidence. Your confidence, not in yourself, but the confidence that you have in the Lord. And he says, remember, don't throw away that confidence and patiently endure whatever is necessary so that you can continue and complete the will of God in your life. The whole church. 
those that are in Christ, we are salt and we are light. Be the salt and be the light that God desires us to be. And as we come to a close, one final question and I'm done. Give consideration to this. What has fear kept you from doing what God has called you to do? What has fear kept you from doing what God has called you to do? Run to the will of God. Embrace His calling on your life. Don't let fear keep you from doing what God's called you to do. And ultimately, when our lifestyles, when our actions, when our words match the professions of our mouths, then you know what you have is real. And that is witness. Are you committed to your witness? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for this church, for our time together. And in this moment of invitation, Father, I pray that your spirit would bring great conviction upon us all, identifying the things in our lives that need to be corrected, the sins that need to be confessed, and the decisions that need to be made. And so, God, be with us during this time. May whatever happened in this moment happen for your glory and according to your purpose. Through Christ's name I pray. Amen. Church, in just